it's time for the chip race. Hello and welcome to the chip race, Ireland's weekly poker podcast. I'm your host David Lappin alongside Darrow Carney. And tonight we have an exclusive interview with Paddy Power Poker Irish Open runner-up Kevin Killeen. Nick Newport joins us in the studio to discuss three books from three poker paradigms. And Willie Elliott talks to Scottish superstar Ludovic Gelic. But first... The entire poker world is buzzing right now about a hand that took place on the Irish Open final table Monday last. To those of you who have been living under a rock and haven't seen it yet, get yourselves over to YouTube and type in The Ultimate Slow Roll. It's a hand involving Dunico D and Andreas Gann in which the latter flats a min-raise pre-flop of five and a half bigs with the king-queen of diamonds. He flops the nuts, checks, gets put all in, inexplicably tanks for a minute and ten seconds, eventually calls, gestures for Dunica to show his hand first, sees that Dunica has top and bottom pair, and then finally rolls over the stone-cold nuts. Some of his table mates jump out of their seats, others give him a piece of their minds. Realising what has happened, the crowd starts to boo, the dealer puts out a seven on the turn. People are yelling for an ace or a six. The river brings a six and pandemonium ensues. I had the huge pleasure of working for Paddy Power all weekend as their poker analyst for the event. And I must admit, I was in shock that someone would do such a thing on the final table of such a prestigious event, as was my co-commentator Emmett Kennedy. I spoke to Emmett on Tuesday morning to get his reflections on the festival and on the slow roll, the YouTube clip of which has gone viral. I'm here at the Burlington Hotel in the lobby with Emmett Kennedy the, the, the morning after the night before. It was, a, it was a late night for us both last night, Emmett. Yeah, we're still side by side after the commentary action. We can't get enough of each other's company after the weekend. Pleasure to commentate with you. Uh, really exciting weekend. Some fabulous hands, some fabulous action and a great final table. What was the highlight of the weekend for you? Um, I, to be honest about it, being here uh, and just getting to commentate on it was, was the overall highlight, I think. Uh, and I know that might seem a little bit silly or, or a cliche thing, but being part of the Irish Open and, and being part of an event as important as this uh, and, and as big an event with the prestige and with the hype that surrounds it and is, is a great thing for me, it's a great experience for me, but also it's a real pleasure to see the quality field that we had. The numbers could have been better, there's no way of getting away from that. But Paddy Power were delighted to have the strength and depth that they had and for me as a commentator to be alongside you uh, and to get to commentate on such incredibly talented players is a, just a real, real buzz. So that's the highlight for me. Yeah, we had some incredible moments. We had an amazing play from, uh, obviously, our winner, Yanis Triantafilakis from, uh, from Greece, beating Kevin Killeen heads up. Uh, we were obviously rooting for Kevin. It, it was yeah. pretty clear in the commentary box we were rooting for all the Irish guys. We, we make no apologies for being biased there, by the way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, uh, of course, one of the big talking points, and, you know, Dunnock OD made the final table, but he was involved in maybe the hand everyone's talking about, the, the hand that's gone viral. This is... This is sensational. Daniel Negrano has tweeted about it. He's got such a huge presence online. Uh, car players have put it up. Paddy Power Poker have, have tweeted about it and put it up on their Facebook page. There's 100,000 hits already. It's remarkable. You know, it just is remarkable. And in a way, it's good that it happened because it just generates even more activity about the Irish Open. Um, but it, this, it was surreal. I've never seen anything like it. I've been commentating on the Irish Open since 2009. I've commented on the Winter Festival, Full Tilt Poker Galway Festival, Late Night Stars of Poker TV show. I have never, ever, ever seen anything like that hand. No, like slow rolling, it's not the done thing. Obviously, maybe in a, in a fun game with your mates, you might, you know, take the piss, have a bit of fun with somebody, uh, you know, let them sweat and then turn over the nuts. But like at the final table of the Irish Open, what was Andreas thinking? Well, this is the thing. Like, 
Andrew Grimmison was saying to me, hey, I'm the connoisseur of slow rolls. You know, I, I, I kind of love this stuff. Oh, yeah, there were guys who wanted to buy him a pint. Yeah, but at the same time, Grimo was also saying... That's not acceptable at the final table. Like, no. look, we can have a bit of a skit and laugh. If you did that to John O'Shea in a cash game, you'd be going, ha, 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 isn't that hilarious? This is the final table of the Irish Open, the oldest and most prestigious poker tournament in Europe. You don't do it. And look, I've listened to the excuses. Fergal Nealon was trying to do his Kofi Annan uh, peacekeeping <laughs> business. And fair play to Fergal. I, I admire the fact that, that, that he's trying to do that because Fergal wants to see the good in everybody. He really does. I have seen excuses from people where they say, oh, maybe he's thinking about his tournament life and the fact that uh, Dunica could have two pair, which of course he does, and, and maybe he's afraid of, of uh, Dunica making a full house. Come off the stage. You'd never play aces if you were thinking like that. You know, you can't fear every single hand in poker. I've heard people say that he didn't understand the ethics of the game. Nonsense. He's played the Irish Open before. He's on a final table. He knows exactly what he's doing. What's happened afterwards is he is, he's had the crowd boom, he said every single player on that table destroy him, uh, particularly Kevin Colleen. I shook Kevin Colleen's hand afterwards. <laughs> I said, Kevin, great play against Dunica when Dunica had the ace jack. Admire that play. I admire even more for how you handled the situation with the slow roll. It was appalling. Michael Wang's reaction when he sees what's happened. Well, people were jumping out of their seats. There is no excuse for it. It was shameful. It has no place at the Irish Open. And thank God for that six. Yeah, that six, wow, the place exploded. It was pandemonium. Sensational scenes. It was just electric. Yeah, if anyone out there hasn't seen it yet, check it out on YouTube. I think you just have to put the word slow roll in and it's like the first thing that'll come up. Yeah. I will say this to defend him to a certain extent. No, I'll never defend him. Sorry, I'll take that. I'm not defending. <laughs> but, but, he did apologise. Uh, you might have noticed on the live stream coverage, he tried to shake Donica's hand. Donica was having none of us. He went back up to him afterwards and did shake his hand and apologised. I will say that for him. But it's a lesson learned. And i tell you one thing, it'll follow him for the rest of his life. I can't imagine there'll be too many other people wanting to slow roll in final tables from now on. Well, Emmett Kennedy, thank you so much. YouTube superstar, I'm imagining right now as we speak. Both of us, for that matter. But and Fergal. But before you go, you're not a rival podcast. You're a, a friendly podcast. You have the final furlong. Yeah, the final furlong podcasts, which is now which great for us. We're now in a tie-up with At The Races. Uh, the Horse Racing Channel, it's a fantastic channel as well, it's great exposure for us. I'm joined by Noel Hayes, one of the shrewdest men in the business, Kevin Blake, fantastic writer and presenter in his own right, and the jockey Robbie McNamara, who is not only an incredibly informative man when it comes to racing, but he's also great crack and great banter. And similar to yourselves, we want to give as much information to our listeners as we can, while also having a bit of a laugh too. So, like you, we're on iTunes and we're on SoundCloud, and we'll see you in the iTunes charts. Darry, you've just heard Emmett's comments there. Uh, you were also in the room while it was taking place. Yeah, you were in the process of chopping the Irish Open uh, mini on a nearby table. What did you make of the hand at the time? And, and do you feel the same way now that the dust has settled a little bit? Yeah, I think we were actually on a... I guess we were on a break from our tournament because I, was, I, I know I was around front watching the hand as it happened. And it was a very, very feverish uh, um, atmosphere there. People did get wound up when they saw what, what looked like a very, very bad reach of etiquette a blatant slow roll particularly to somebody like Donica and yeah. pretty much the entire rail were, 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 were shouting for an ace or a six um, 
So when the ASR6 came, it was widely celebrated. Everybody was, you know, jumping up, pumping the air. Yeah, people on the table were out of their seats. You know, they'd all given them a piece of their mind. And, and now that the six comes, he was almost in shock. I remember Nick O'Hara came out and kind of shook his hand. It was almost like he didn't know he'd been eliminated. He sort of walks away. Nobody's even, like, making eye contact with him. It's like, out you go, boy. Yeah, I saw him come off the side. I think Nick did a really good job kind of getting him away from the crowd very quickly because uh, given the atmosphere that was in there, it, it, it was possible, uh, certainly, that something unpleasant could have happened but Nick just basically took him and pulled him straight over to the payouts Yeah and our good friend Fergal Nealon was also in the commentary box at the time he was alongside me and Emmett and he has come out stating that on reflection looking at the videos he believes that his reactions were a little bit over the top what do you think of the reaction of the commentators and how it added to maybe that cauldron that had been created Yeah I would agree that they were over the top uh, on reflection at the time though I completely understand them I mean everybody in the room was very much caught up in the moment and that extended into the commentary box Um, but certainly, the, while most people initially were focusing on the slow roll element and less on, on, on the commentator's uh, reaction, I think as time went on, there was more of a backlash against the um, perhaps somewhat over-the-top commentator reaction. Yeah, like maybe it went a little bit too far. But to be fair, and I think this is really important to know, Fergal Nealon was the only person who actually went to the trouble to talk with Andreas. He wanted to get his side of the story. He actually started to believe that Andreas maybe didn't do it on purpose or maybe had the wrong hand in his head. He thought maybe he only thought he had a draw. Um, and, I, and I think the, the side of the story he got was that Andreas uh, did know he had done the slow roll, but what he was doing was trying to create like a moment for his family who he knew were watching and that it was almost like a Wild Western saloon and he was playing a, a game of poker, you know, and, and, and he was going to, like, take all this time and create loads of drama so his family watching wouldn't know if he had it and then eventually show the nuts. Yeah, I read Fergal's lo- uh, long and, and very excellent post on Irish Poker Boards on on um, his interaction with Andreas and I think Andreas's best friend Tilo afterwards. And I was actually watching Tilo on the rail as the slow roll hand went down and he seemed disgusted by, by what Andreas had done. But it does appear that Andreas didn't know what he was doing Uh, was actually a major breach of etiquette. He's not a live player, he's an online player. Uh, Online people don't tend to focus so much on slow rolls because, you know, you could be playing 20 hands and by the time you even notice that you have a decision on that hand, you might be effectively slow rolling a guy. Yeah, well, for better or worse, it's become a viral sensation. Check it out on YouTube. Uh, It's probably the most downloaded clip, I would say, to do with poker for the last six months. Um, You know, really interesting. There are two sides to that story. We don't like to see a slow roll, though. No, no, especially on the Don. Poker paradigms. From Texas road gamblers to maths nerds using artificial intelligence, it's fair to say that poker has gone through numerous phases culminating in the state of the game today. Dara, put poker in a historical context for our listeners. Yeah, I guess when we talk about poker these days, we talk primarily about Texas Hold'em, which has been around for a while but really only got popularised in the 60s and 70s. Um, Started in Texas, as the name implies, and then spread to Vegas, um, mainly through Benny Binion's arrival there. Um, uh, probably the first big leap forward uh, was made when three of the Texas road gamblers as they were called um, Doyle Brunson Sailor Roberts and Amarillo Slim were pooling ideas and bankrolled for a while as they went around different home games uh, in Texas and they basically developed a new style of play which exploited the way most people played Texas Hold'em back at the time which was very very tight and very very passive so they started playing suited connectors, started playing a much wider range of hands, putting aggression on people, using over bets, using a very aggressive strategy. Um, and that was very successful for them. And Doyle ended up writing Super System, which is probably the first great poker strategy book. Uh, and he wrote the that the the structure of that book is it's divided up into, I think, 10 different games which were popular at the time. 
at that stage Hold'em was probably the most popular but not as predominant as it is today Doyle wrote the section on Hold'em himself and basically gave away all the secrets and suddenly people started playing you know small pairs to set mine suited connectors um, and that was basically the first leap forward Yeah with that in mind now we're also joined by Irish Pro and Winter Festival champion Nick Newport who's taken a break from crushing those Norwegian cash games to talk about uh, three books the first one which Dara's mentioned uh, Brunson Super System but also the Lee Nelson series of Kill Phil Kill Everyone and the Razor's Edge and later on the Book of Mormon uh, by the undisputed king of online Chris Mormon uh, Nick you obviously were massively influenced by the, the mathematical approach taken by Lee Nelson in, in, in that trilogy what, what were the biggest leaps you saw in the game certainly the biggest leap I saw was certainly the introduction uh, my introduction to the Nash Equilibrium charts before I would have seen these charts I would have assumed when I was kind of sub 20 big blinds that I would shove certain types of hands when I was at a certain big blind level say if I had 15 big blinds or 16 big blinds I'd I'd kind of have in my own mind what hands I would so- shove in certain in certain situations Dara I know you uh, from uh, first principles designed your own charts uh, maybe five or six years ago when you'd recognise in your own game that maybe a leak was in that turbo or format or in that short stacked format that the turbo structures often put you in there's a one sentence in Dan Harrington's book which I use basically as the inspiration to go off and develop my own charts which was that if you know the hands that are likely to call you in a certain situation and you know your stack and you know what chance you have of winning um against that range of hands with the hand that you have you can actually work out whether a, um, a shove is profitable or not and I basically did, did that from first principles as you said using spreadsheets and when you got to see those charts uh, in the Kill Everyone book did you have that kind of moment of like oh my god someone's just done what I did yeah it was a pretty sad moment actually because now suddenly the, all, all the information was out there and uh, certainly wasn't the only person in the world who'd done that kind of work um, there, there were quite a few others but basically for a couple of years we had, a, we had an edge in that we knew exactly the right hands to shove from different spots and now basically it was just an appendix of, uh, in the back of a book It's so commonplace these days that you, you'll sit in a, a live casino venue with an, and maybe an older gentleman across from you and he starts talking about Nash Equilibrium or was that the right Nash shove and you're thinking oh my god everyone does really know like the game has even moved beyond the point at which guys had learned how to do the Nash shoves and then I guess the, the next step and it was even there in the Lee Nelson series that when we get into the book that was uh, I guess the focal point was Elkie the Razor's Edge it was all about where when to diverge and when to kind of get engrossed in the metagame of that day. Yeah, that's right. I mean, Nash Equilibrium as a concept is there. It's, it's a kind of a catch-all solution. You can play it against anybody and you can't be exploited. But there are situations where you should, it's much more profitable to change from that strategy to another strategy. For example, if somebody's playing tight, then you can shove wider because they're not going to call you very often. Um, so a lot of this, uh, let's say the skill or edge in poker at this stage is recognising uh, those situations when you should diverge and how much you should diverge. And Nick, the next step in this sort of evolution of the game was, uh, and, and it's only a very recent step, we had the Book of Mormon by Chris Mormon came out last year. I know it's already selling a lot of copies. What is Chris doing to sort of push that even further, push that envelope even further again? Well, basically the format of the book was that... Um, because a co-writer on the book, uh, whose name was uh, Byron Jacobs, he was kind of, he's kind of like a mid to kind of low stakes level kind of tournament grinder, and he brought hands to Chris, and he kind of wrote his own notes on how he played certain hands and on his thought process through these hands, and then Chris came in with his no- his notes on on the hand, and then they kind of had a conclusion, and what you would see in 
in the difference in thinking between a mid-stakes grinder and someone who at Mormon's level who obviously would be considered one of the kind of the great minds or the best players of the last like 10 years what did you pick up from seeing in that book oh he's doing that something different that I'm not doing literally the first hand I read uh, it was kind of uh, almost a small eureka moment for me I, I believe in the first hand um, Byron has ace jack uh, like deep pre-antes and he peels out with a small blind to kind of a mid position open and it comes king jack four and and Byron's uh, kind of strategy for this hand uh, or thought process was trying and you know call one bet and try to get the hand to showdown or improve his hand and then get value whereas Mormon countered with the idea that it's a good spot to turn his hand into a bluff because on this dry board uh, our opponent has such a weak range that we can we could we, we could rep a strong range that we could put apply a lot of pressure to his to his we to the weaker parts of our opponent's range and this is the moment where I was think I was thinking the same lo- along the same lines as Byron, where I would try to get this hand to showdown in this spot, where I wouldn't really consider that I have a hand that I could easily turn into a bluff because I do block a lot of in this situation. You would block a lot of hands that our opponent can have for value. Yeah, the other thing that was interesting about the hand, if I'm if I'm remembering it correctly, is that um, more money even questioned the call preflop. Correct. That's uh, very correct. Yeah. Uh, he he basically said ace jack out of position even to a mid position uh, earlier in the tournament is not a very profitable situation you're going to find yourself in a lot of tricky spots exactly just like the one that he found himself in yeah and I think that's that's certainly something a lot of um, mid-stakes regs are, are um, guilty of they look at a hand like ace jack and goal I'm, I'm probably ahead of the guy's range so I need to play the hand rather than thinking is it actually profitable and, and, and if I do play it how do I how do I play it profitably and the reality being in that situation that with a hand like ace jack out of position the burden is on you to connect so that you can continue in the hand so as Mormon said if he's going to continue in the hand by calling he has to start bluffing sometimes or at least having a exactly. decent bluffing exactly and, and even in this case he has connected and he's still not, not, not clear in fact he ends up doing the not worst line which is he calls one bet and then folds the turn I think so he basically loses money even though he has connected which pretty much makes the preflop call even worse Well look I think the thing to take from this is that poker is in a constant state of flux game is always changing and what these books tried in the case of Mormon's book tried to do is give players a sense of what strategies they need to adopt to exploit the tendencies of the previous generation and the weird thing for us poker players is a generation is probably only three years If even It's time for Dara Davey with the news Thanks, Dave. The news this week was obviously dominated by the Paddy Power Poker Irish Open, which was conducted in the Double Tree by Hilton Hotel. 321 entrants either qualified online or put up the €3,500 entry fee, creating a prize pool of just over €1 million. Euro. The field was completely stacked with top Irish and international pros, several of which made deep runs. Despite making the money, Peter Murphy, Tim Davey, Phil Huxley, Keith Hawkins, Ronan Gilligan, Fergal Nealon, Simon Deadman, Steve O'Dwyer and Chris Dowling all just fell short at the prestigious final table. The last table assembled and Tom Kitt was the unfortunate unofficial final table bubble boy, picking up €20,500 for his ninth place finish. After Andreas Gann and Bad Dal fell in 8th and 7th places, four Irish players remained. Fogel Cawley fell in 6th place and was followed by Irish poker legend Donico D in 5th place. Kevin Colleen proceeded to knock out Declan Connolly on amazingly his third Irish Open final table in 6 years for AZK, swiftly followed by American pro Michael Wang and we were left heads up. Ionis Triantilicus of Greece and Kevin Colleen, who was on his third major final table in 14 months, agreed to chop the remaining money, guaranteeing they would each bank just under €200,000. In the end, Ionis defeated Kevin, taking the trophy, €209,500 and the €50,000 Soul Survivor package on top of it all. 
inside events, our own Darrow Kearney chopped the mini Irish Open event three-handed, which was eventually won by Matt Moon Rashid for €12,400. In what feels like an endless loop on this news section at this point, Paul Kerr final tabled yet another tournament, this time the 1K Liam Flood Memorial, in which he finished fifth for €5,100, which also featured Neil Channing finishing third and eventually being won by Garrett Boyle, defeating Porico Luna heads up for €25,000. And finally, on a sadder note this week, the Poker World tossed, lost two larger-than-life characters with the passing of Dave the Devilfish Elliot and Kevin Spillan. Our thoughts are here are with both their families and they will be dearly missed. Yeah, Dara, obviously uh, very sad news to hear about both uh, Dave Ullius and, and Kevin there. Our, our hearts do go out to their family. Uh, the Irish Open, uh, you know, obviously uh, tinged with a bit of sadness this year as well with the passing of Liam Flood. Wonderful tributes uh, paid by Paddy Power and all the uh, the old school pros who, who took the time to to put their thoughts down and, 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 and go in front of camera and, 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 and pay homage to the man. Yeah, there was a very strange passing of the guard feel, I guess, this week, nearly as in there's so many characters have been lost recently that they've been around pretty much since the, particularly the dawn of poker, like or the recent boom in 2003, that they were the initial celebrities and now they've gone, so... Yeah, it did cast a bit of a shadow over it. But, you know, at the same time, it was a wonderful event. The Paddy Power put in a lot of time and effort to, to create that kind of party atmosphere that they're always well known for. Um, I, for one, had a really good time. I got to do a bit of commentary of the weekend. I got to see all the whole cards, you wizards. So beware, I'm going to be back in the felt next week trying to beat you all up. But uh, no, on a serious note, though, uh, incredible runs from some of those Irish guys. That was the most stacked field I've ever seen at the Irish Open. I, I was running out of breath there listing out all the names and there was a couple of guys there if they were left out, I feel really bad but I had to narrow it down to some amount yeah, of well, the 36 people who cashed I just knew pretty much everyone yeah no it was an incredible field and Yanis uh, Triantafalakis who you know sometimes we give you a break and let you take that cut again but we're not going to this so, week sorry yeah <laughs> to, to be fair I don't think many people could pronounce it Yanis uh, I had a lot of practice saying his name over the weekend because he played so so well uh, just one of those really good aggressive players who picked his spots really well he seemed to play pretty tight always had the, the best hand when he got it in uh, on the feature tables on day two and three but on that final table you know he showed some moves he showed some gears he, he made a few really interesting three bets with hands like 9-6 and 3-6 where he was really trying to put pressure ICM pressure on those other uh, big name pros I think he pretty clearly entered it with I'm going to win this um, I might blow up in my face and I might finish 6th or 7th but I'm going to attack guys like Kevin Colleen who are clearly he views as threats and Declan Connolly and really really good Donica as well really good players he just went for it and it worked out yeah, the Don, obviously that hand has, uh, has featured prominently now with Donica. He didn't play too many hands on the final table, but one of the ones he did is going to be talked about for a lot of years. It is literally being there live. That is literally one of the most amazing hands I have ever seen. Yeah, like, incredible scenes. Staggering scenes. Yeah, and, and, and you're dead right to uh, give credit to Declan Connolly there. That's, you know, one of the really, really awesome achievements. You know, this is six years of big fields. Every time, you know, he just goes deep. He goes deep all the time. He's amazing. And, and only the week before, he went deep in the JP Masters too. Um, I think De- I named Declan not too long ago as probably the most underrated player in the country. I don't think he's underrated anymore. I think people are finally giving him serious amounts of credit. This is absurd. Yeah, it? you're completely right. And obviously, Darrow Kearney, great result. I'm sure he's listening um, from outside the booth here. Uh, his ears are burning. Uh, amazing result there. He rocked a short stack the whole way through that final table. He came back with three bigs on day two, which most people I don't think would even show up for. <laughs> Somehow, <laughs> not that man. Spun it in staggering fashion, and yeah, got a. I think Derek got €10,000 in the end, so yeah. amazing result. Phenomenal results and really did cap off a, a fabulous festival. Our own Kevin Colleen, who we'll be talking to later on, um, you know, he's just a, he's a machine. It's 
ridiculous. I think the each of Kevin's three results are the type of thing you hope for once every several years, and he's had three of them in 14 months. Yeah, it's just not fair on the rest of us. No, he, he has far too much money at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, thank you very much, Dara Davey, for the new segment. Thank you. Chip Race would love to hear from you. Get in touch via Twitter at The Chip Race and find us on Facebook. Last week, our good friend Willie Elliott charmed his way into an interview with a man who has won a UK IPT and the Super Tuesday. I'm just grabbing a quick chat with uh, Ludovic Gaelic, uh, Agro Ludo, Ludo Boss. I first meet you in, about, I think it's about 2013, and that's obviously that's the year that, that you, you cement your reputation and have your start to have the massive scores. Talk, talk me through that year. Oh, that was a fun year. <laughs> That's for sure. I went to, I think I went to Edinburgh to play like this, I think it was a summer sizzler. And my game was quite good. There were special kind of tournaments with like £100 games, £200 games. You were getting like 3 4 key up top. Uh-huh. So this was one of these kind of games in Edinburgh. And it was a 150 summer sizzler. And I just went through with a few friends. My game was, I was feeling good and my, my game was good. And I ended up winning it. At the time I was backed, I think I was just deciding to have a go at it. I said to myself, I'm going to have a good go at this live. And I got a deal with a couple of Scottish lads. Um, Dean Hutchison was one of them. Michael Kane was one of them. Yeah. And a boy called Paul Corrigan. I, I, won the, I won this tournament and obviously I, I wasn't in much makeup at the time. So like, I get some money on my own pocket. Then we decide to go to Marbella straight away. I think it was near enough right after it. I was planning on going there. Because uh-huh. we were allowed to play up to one case right. on the on the deal that we had. My bear was a fucking <laughs> sorry for saying, but my bear was a great time. Like, <laughs> no, I can remember it, was, it. I remember it very well. Oh, it was amazing! Like not just for the poker, obviously, but like the nights out were phenomenal. As as the days went on, and as I get like deeper in the tournament, I kind of relax a bit more and don't go out and heavy drink as much as I was. So, like, it was a heavy night the first night. Second night was okay. Third night was only a few. And then the second... The the last night was only, like, one or two beers, then off to bed. See, see at that time as well, Willie, like, like, I always knew that I had the game and the potential to win, like, in a field with, like, eight or nine hundred or a thousand players with a decent Uh buy-in and and a decent amount up top. I always knew that nothing was going to phase me. And like I was going to have a good chance, and as long as I had the chips, I'm always going to be a, a hard front runner. Absolutely, like, I'm going to always be hard to catch. I, I had some great players at my t- table that were much better than me, much like more um, experienced. I had Martin Zazenia at the table. I had a couple of Spanish boys that won a lot of money, and like they had a lot more experience than me. But that didn't matter. I had the chips, and they couldn't do anything about it. Once I've got to the final table, it was it was quite good because I had a massive chip lead. And yeah. like I just decided to play against all the big stacks, put them which, in difficult ICM and they, and, and they couldn't they couldn't play against sure. me because it was an ICM yeah. disaster. So I just picked up so many chips, and after that, the only time it was quite tough is when it was heads up. That was it. Your your next massive score, obviously, is uh, the final table of EPT London. Yeah, I, I bust day two of that EPT, and I jump on the train straight back home, literally uh, an hour after busting. Mm. I, I stick on the live stream, and you're just crushing. Uh, and I think the, the, the thing that stood out, uh, Vanessa Seltz is watching you on the live stream and saying, God, he's so aggressive. How's he getting away with this? Mm-hmm. Why are they letting him do this? And That's the amazing thing. But like, when you have a stack, people, you've got to select your opponents wisely. Yeah. For instance, if, let's say, for instance, Sam Trickett's at the table and 
let's say for instance Elkies at the table. Uh-huh. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go after them because I know they're not gonna withstand that. They're yeah, yeah. Just, they're gonna just fire right back at me. Uh-huh. I'm 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 selecting players that I know for a fact the way that I can see them talking to their friends on the sidelines and the way that they're acting at the table. And I can see if they're uncomfortable. I can see if they're under pressure. I can see if it's the biggest buy-in they've played, even though it was the biggest buy-in I I played. Uh-huh. I can just tell all well, this by the, the way people are acting, talking at the table. You can see if they're nervous in their voice. You can see how uncomfortable they are when they're playing big pots. So I'm just selecting all the opponents that maybe are playing scared money. So you're now a regular EPT player on the back of that score. Yeah. And you're, you're doing the circuit. Uh, I think you're... The next massive score or next huge score you get was a was a side event winning the APT. Is that right? I think I think after that, um, I think I finished first in the Super Tuesday online. All oh, right. Oh wow. So that's the. There's so many good stories with this. The deal chat. The deal chat is legendary. I don't know if if if, if people haven't heard. You get, was it a four way chop you were discussing. I think it was four way. Now I I was adamant that I wanted six figures. <laughs> not for the not for the money. Like I just thought like. I've never had a six-figure score online. I just wanted it badly. It sounds very silly, the fact I'm saying it's not about the <laughs> it's money. Not about honestly, the money. I just wanted to have one. I'd, 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 I'd had a six-figure score online. It's a thing. It's a checklist, yeah. That's another yeah. box ticked. Yeah, achievement. Yeah. The, the next big score there would be the uh, in Vienna. Yeah. You win a, oh, a two- Vienna was a funny one because I've decided to play everything. I've decided to just throw right. in the lot. <laughs> right. So I've, I've, played, I've played the 1K... I've played a 2k, I've played a 1k bounty. I think I just threw in everything. I think I even played the 10k high roller. I just threw that in as well. Yeah. And I, I totally bricked everything. And we're on to like, I don't know what event it was, but let's say it was like event 24. And there's only like, there's only like 28 of them. So like, <laughs> there's not many chances to get out of this trip. And obviously I play a 2k 8 max. Yeah. I think there was like 100 players or 90 players. And it was quite an interesting final table. I had Dominic Panker on my left, right. But I had I had him on my left on, I think it was two ta- I think there was two tables left or three tables left. So he was like he just won the PCA and he was like, <laughs> "You're Ludovic, aren't you?" And I'm, like, yeah. and like I'm like, "Well done for winning the PCA. You play a different class." And obviously we chatted away. He added me. Well, I added on Facebook. He followed me on Twitter. I followed him on Twitter, and we just have been good friends ever since. Brilliant. So. Brilliant. Lots of love for Dominic. Uh, yeah, lots of love. He's a gentleman. He's an yeah, absolute good yeah. guy. And absolute boss. On, on the yeah. another great score there. Into 2015, obviously it's we're still quite early in the year, but you've hit the ground running. Uh, EPD Dovo, yeah, that was quite good. I, I was playing well. I, I knew before I went over there I was playing well. I think I played a 1K Turbo PLO. Busted that quite quick. I played the 2K FPS High Roller. Busted that. So, like, I was playing well, but I was, like, busting everything. And in the main event, got off to a bad start in the 5K main. Managed to make it through to day two, short stacked. Uh-huh. Spun it up, had a good stack, and then we got it in with straight. Draw flush draw against overpair on the flop. Overpair holds. Become very become very short, end up busting. Then we play a 2K side event and we come second. Brilliant. So, like, I, I knew as long as I kept registering, and kept putting the volume in and kept putting the time and effort in and made sure I believed that I'm playing well enough, I would come. 
Well, there you heard it, ladies and gentlemen. Ludo Gellich talking to Willie Elliott, insisting that key ingredients to his success are time, effort and belief. Darrell Kearney, I know you're a sick man for the long days and the volume, so that's the time and effort covered. How important to you is belief when it comes to poker? Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with Ludo that it's very important. I think it's important on two fronts. I think long term, uh, you, you have to have belief that you're, that you're a winning player and that you're going to make money particularly if you're a tournament player because you are going to have long periods where you're down swinging and nothing seems to be going right and it's very hard to actually put in the time and effort um, unless you believe that that's going to turn around um, and you're going to get the rewards down the line And what about um, belief when it comes to say being short stacked in a tournament I know this weekend at the Irish Open you were short stacked like absolutely decimated around the bubble you were three four big blinds and somehow you navigate into day two with I think three and a half bigs and, and, and we're there at the final table? Yeah, I think it, within a, one tournament is also very important. I mean, online is a bit easier because you're playing so many tournaments at a time, but live in particular, you know, you're never going to play a tournament where everything's going to go well from the start. You Sometimes you make a bad start, sometimes you, you're going well for a while and then you take a bad beat. So you have to be able f- to deal with the emotional roller coaster of that and it's definitely an advantage to kind of have that self-belief that no matter how short you get um, you're going to do, make the right decisions and uh, you can you can come back and some of my biggest results have been from really short stacks like um, EMOP Dublin which was my second biggest result still um, 11 handed I was crippled down to three big blinds as well and I came back from there to have 60% of the chips three-handed. So what's the secret to surviving when you're down to three bigs, four bigs? Do you have to be Darrow Kearney and have everyone afraid to call you off? I think that's certainly an advantage. Um, you know, as, a, as an older gentleman at the table, people don't necessarily think that I'm, you know, shoving ace rag in early position or whatever. So calling ranges are quite tight. It, it, it was pretty um, marked on my day two Uh when I came back with the three and a half big blinds at the weekend and I said to people afterwards people you know, people were going well how did you get into the chop you must have been very lucky and doubled up a pile of times and I said well actually I only doubled up once and I was only all in and called twice all day even though I came back with three and a half big blinds and the reason for that is that I got a lot of um, all ins through uh, without getting called and basically stayed alive that way and, and, and chipped up more gradually rather than suddenly. And is that you picking on specific people that you can kind of target as, oh, they'll be a little bit tighter in their blinds or and then maybe similarly not shoving into the blinds of guys you think, actually, he's on to me, he's going to call me. Yeah, yeah, no, that was exactly it. And, and, and actually people were very helpful because they were telling me or, or sometimes even showing me big hands that they were folding, which they really shouldn't have been folding, wow. which meant that they were getting sh- their, their blind was getting shoved on the next time as well. And then there were other guys I knew would call me pretty much properly so in spots where I would normally have taken you know, a bottom of the range shove against them um, a shove which is slightly profitable but not massively profitable I was actually letting those spots go thinking well I have these other spots which are way more profitable and way more favourable for me so I don't need to take this one Well look that's incredible insights uh, really really beneficial to those of you listening at home that's how you navigate a short sack that's how you get into the chop even though you're the shorty on the bubble My name's Kevin Killeen I'm 25 years old and I'm from Dublin I've been playing poker for a couple of years uh, I like it. And finally, we're here with the man of the moment, Kevin Killeen. Welcome, Kevin. You said that in that pre-Irish Open final table promo, it's a bit famous now, that you like poker. Well, poker certainly seems to like you at the moment. The last 14 months or so, I've seen you make three huge final tables, obviously UK IPT, EPT, and now the Irish Open. How are you feeling? I'm feeling great about it, yeah. It's been, been a really good year. How does the Irish Open rank amongst those other results? Uh, it's obviously up there with up there one of my favourite results probably my favourite result at home in my hometown of Dublin so delighted about it and are you good at that it wasn't you know a win yeah I'm, I'm, of course I'm good at that I didn't get the trophy it's 
it's nice to get the title and get the trophy but I made a great deal heads up so I'm really happy with the result Yeah that was a really good deal yeah you swooped in to try and lock up some equity immediately Yeah I was I was pushing for an even chop and he was getting a bit sticky about it so I, was, I, I gave up a little and we kind of just shook on it kind of straight away and that was it deal done nice and quick yeah, it's yeah. Certainly, when I heard the chop, I I think I was aware of the chip counts because I was following on Nick O'Hara's amazing system there, and I was really surprised at how even the payouts were. Yeah, I was pretty happy I got that deal. To be honest, um, playing heads up for a hundred thousand euros would would have been a lot of pressure and not something many people do. So yeah, I, I also think when you come second after having agreed a chop, uh, you always feel kind yeah, of yeah, kind feel, of better. <laughs> it does feel it feels like a win? Yeah, and yeah. looking back on how the heads up went. Um, I thought I played fine. There's not much I could do about it. So Yeah, I watched that from the commentary box and Ianis Triantafilakis, our Irish Open winner, I think he played really, really well. He might have missed a couple of small spots for value. He could have put you away sooner. But, you know, all in all, I think he played really well. The deck fairly hit him in the face, though. Yeah, apparently, yeah, he played quite aggressive. I didn't get to see a lot of his holdings, but he, he did play aggressive and put the pressure on, so fair play to him. Yeah, well, if it puts your mind at ease, I can tell you now, he definitely had kings a couple of times and I think he had aces as well. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty sick, actually, yeah, but... Well, what can we do? We're happy with the result. And give us a sense of that journey through that, through the you know day one, day two. Obviously, day one's a bit more of a feeling out time. You're just trying to maybe double your stack, or or you know just maybe take it as it comes. Yeah, well, I came into the tournament full of confidence. You know, I knew I knew the field was was going to be okay, but um, I got good table draws. So I was lucky enough to have some good table draws, and I seemed to chip up well. And uh, when I did eventually hit my big hands, when I did get the ace king and the queens, they lost, but I still had chips from chipping up. So. Uh, it was it was smooth sailing, then losing a bit. Smooth sailing, then losing a bit. Yeah, well, I think in any tournament, it's never going to going to go well yeah. from start to finish. So you have to be able to take the swing. Yeah, it was quite up and down, and it was quite quite a swingy couple of days. And even day two and day three was still swingy. But yeah, you never seem to let that f- stuff phase. You see, you all seem really really calm at the table. But I, I remember when you final table DPT London, uh, Nico Har actually came to us the night before and said uh, that you'd started in his games, small small pub games. I guess he ran, and that he said you were also really very good, very aggressive player. But he thought you were you you, you went on tilt very easily. <laughs> yeah, that was that was back in the day uh, out in Rush, a town close to where I live. Um, Tilty Kevin Killeen, I can just imagine. I mean, that was 18, 18 <laughs> years old. I'd just gotten into the game. I had a bit of an ego, of course, back then. People do when they're 18 years old. Oh, so. just then, yeah? Oh, just then. You don't have an ego anymore. Oh, yeah, well, <laughs> fuck you guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But, uh, but, but like I said, we never really saw that side of you. So, like, did you just grow out of it or is it something you had to work it's, on? It's something I learned and something pl- the players around me and friends around me through when I got into poker have taught me that tilting is no good and moaning about bad beats is no good you know that's that's something you can't control so just keep a focused head if you get a bad beat or if you lose a big pot you look you look down at your stack and just focus on okay I've got this much left and then you just analyse the table and that's it you just go from there and speaking of situations you can control uh, there were two really key hands on that final table you know again I was in the commentary box I was watching it with whole cards a bit of a treat for me getting to see all the you know mad stuff that all these magicians were doing but there was an interesting one with Ace Queen against Ianis the guy who eventually took down the event where he three bet you at 9-6 and you were playing quite a shallow stack there you had 18 big blinds you raise it up he three bet you sort of put you in a weird spot most people would think it was all in our fold there yeah it is it was quite a weird spot and it's not really a standard spot but um just i, I felt he was capable of doing it light and ace queen suited is is a really uh it's a really strong hand to take to a flop especially against a wide range and an aggressive opponent also the fact that there was three shorter stacks than me 
and wasn't comfortable getting the the ace queen in. Like you know, when I jam hit there, he's he's only gonna have a better hand. So I decided to take my strong hand to the flop and see how it goes. Yeah, it showed real creativity. I thought with you, we we talked about it with Fergal and with them uh, on commentary at the time. You know. This was obviously like a high level above the rim type of line to take. Most guys would just make their decision, make life easy for themselves. You're not afraid of letting cards fall. I know I'm not afraid to take it to a flop. The other big hand that uh, you were involved in on the final <coughs> table that got a lot of attention on Twitter was your king queen hand against Donica's ace jack. Um, what were you thinking in, in in that hand when you raised the flop? Yeah, that was another non-standard uh, non-standard play by me. Um, I felt that Donica was capable of. Uh, like check raising for information and not many players do it but Dunica's more old school so he has definitely has that in his arsenal to check raise a jack 10 or a 9-10 there uh, just to feel it out and see where he's at Yeah I really felt at the time like if you were playing against someone like myself or Dara in that spot you would have you know probably put us on a nuttier kind of you know range hoping to get in against your you know top of your range type of hands in that situation it just felt like a kind of a feeler bet or a yeah, sort of yeah. a question against, against, against certain opponents I, I would obviously take a different line but I really just felt that if I if I uh, put in another raise here I could put on the pressure and I could get him to fold maybe a jack 10 or, or a 9-10 which is the best hand at the moment so Look, the other big thing about the, the Kevin Killeen Arsenal is his online game. Uh, your suited aces baby on full tilt, your Torino 2000 on the Poker Stars. 1.6 million in online winnings. I'm going to give the people at home a little summary of your results. Um, you know, you've won the big 162 for 23k back in March 2013. You've final table to full tilt brawl three times um, for 24k, 17.5k, and 28k. That's third, fourth, and first place finishes. You've come second in the Sunday, second chance for 33k, third in the full tilt major um, you've come second in the 100 rebuy and stars for 30k Like the list goes on and on yeah it's, I've put some good results up on the board online and I'm, I'm hoping to improve on my online game and uh, keep putting them results up yeah those results of uh, you know pocket fives leaderboard I know we all sort of follow those um, Jude has been pretty much the Irish number one for about what two three years two or three years yeah probably yeah you managed to pip him there recently I know he got it back off you but you know that must be an amazing feeling yeah it does it feels great to put results up on the board and to, to be uh, to be recognised there on the pocket fives leaderboard Jude's had, Jude's had a good year so far he's put in some good results so fair play to him keep it up and uh, it was lovely to meet your mother again, Mammy Torino, as we call her. Uh, she always comes in to support you on these big occasions and uh, ran into her in the hotel um, on Monday. She'd actually come up from uh, Kerry, she told me, but she went to the wrong hotel, uh, so got there a little <laughs> yeah, bit Mammy late. Yeah, got lost on the way, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you, you, you always have a great rail. I mean, you had by far the biggest rail on, on UK IPT Dublin when you final tabled it uh, with all the lads there in their onesies, uh, Finton, your brother, all the boys. Um, and it was the same again. You had by far the biggest rail for this Irish Open, and even in London, I think you had the biggest rail. To be honest, yeah, it's um, also it's awesome to have that great support of friends and family that are willing to come travel around to the events and are willing to come have a party with me, win, win, lose or draw. You know that all my friends and family will be there celebrating with us. So. That's yeah, great we, to have. We were lucky to have Finton on the show last week. He's obviously doing this Twitch business out in Malta. He couldn't be there yesterday. What does it feel like when you know some of those guys couldn't make it? Yeah, I was, I was missing. I was missing out most of the original onesie crew, which would have been Finton. <laughs> Finton, who's out in Malta. I got my good pal Steve, who's uh, in Hong Kong at the moment, and then obviously Kevin, who's uh, down in Australia. So. They were sending tweets in, though. They were sending pictures of ah, themselves in onesies at their yeah, computers. They're all, they were all in onesies, yeah. My, <laughs> my cousins actually sent a picture of my grandmother that was got in her onesie. And they no way! Would, they watched on telly for the day, yeah. So that was awesome. 
Oh, that's brilliant. Well, listen, it's time for the Torino <coughs> trivia quiz. Kevin Killeen. Here we go. You know, I know you've been worrying about this one. You've been worrying about, uh, you know, whether you have the knowledge. I'm going to throw a few old school questions your way. Question one. Name the well-known Irish bookmaker who first organised the Irish Open in 1980. Uh, I think that's Terry Rogers. Correct. <laughs> Come on. Question two. In, in that hand from the final table where Dunica was slow rolled by Andreas, what equity did the A6 of clubs have? Was it A, 16.2%? B, 17.5% or C, 18.8%? Yeah, it was A. It was an A. It was B. It was 17.5%. Question three. Which two-time Irish Open champion also won the WSOP main event in 1999? No, was it Noel? Noel. You're gonna, we're going to need more than Noel. Noel Furlong. Correct. Yes. Question four. Matt Damon starred as Mike McDermott in the film Rounders. What was the name of Edward Norton's character in that movie? <laughs> I don't know that one. The Worm. Question five. Which WSOP main event second place finisher said, just play every hand, you can't miss them all? Um, I'll give you a clue. He played against Moneymaker. Is it Mr. Farha? Correct, Sammy Farha. Question six. You've got to get this one. How many times has Kevin Killeen made the final table of the Fitz end of the month tournament here in Dublin? <laughs> uh, that's... Three times, if I remember correctly. Correct. You finished fifth, sixth, and seventh. And finally, question seven. When you beat Max Silver to claim the UKIPT title uh, in Dublin, what were your winning hole cards? Uh, a king and a queen of clubs. Correct. <laughs> Kevin Killeen, top effort there. You know, I think that might be, I might put you top of the board, to be honest. We're going to have to do a recount, but I think yeah. that might put you right at the top. Listen, thank you so much for coming in. I know you march to the beat of your own drum, but you'll always be one of the firm boys to us. Uh, thank you so much for coming in. Amazing result. We're so happy for you. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks a million for having us. Thanks, Kevin. All the best. Last weekend, Paddy Power filmed a series of tributes to the late Liam Flood featuring the biggest names in Irish poker. Instead of a song to play us off this week, I'd like to play one of those tributes. One legend eulogising another. This is the Don Dunica O'Dee, talking about the man known simply as the gentleman. I first met Liam Flood um, when he was one of the biggest bookmakers on the track and, and uh, he certainly laid a really, really good bet. Um, and then uh, he sort of got involved with Terry Rogers in helping him to run the Eccentric Club and the Irish Open. So he was sort of assistant, assistant tournament director. And uh, in fact, I remember one year he was, the, Terry used to bet on it in running and Liam had backed, um, you know, the, there were three people left and he backed the favourite and then that guy then went down in chips and then he backed somebody else. I mean, in the end I remember Terry saying to me that Liam stood to lose about 10,000 to win about 200 but uh, managed to save his 10,000. We were all having a good laugh at that but um, then you know obviously he really appreciated what Terry had done in getting the Irish Open and getting all these international players over and he resurrected the Irish Open when it hadn't been run for a few years and obviously it's continuing to this day and it's the longest running tournament in Europe which is a great tribute to him to have got it back on track and um, making it the event that it is and with Paddy Power's um, organisation behind it it's made it a really great event. Um, obviously from a tournament point of view Liam really found his meteor in the televised tournaments which were six-handed so it suited somebody who played very aggressively and um, he had some fantastic results and uh, you know sort of just came into his own and 
maybe maybe a bit of a showman in him that he he started to uh, you know just really excel and ma I made some really amazing moves which obviously you know we all saw and uh, had some really really good results um, uh, from on a personal basis uh, Liam never married so he um, he was very very good to all his nephews and nieces um, his sister-in-law was saying to me, oh, Liam's just such a marvel. Every time one of my kids has turned 21, Liam has produced a car for them. So that was sort of really nice to um, do that when you're still alive rather than people sort of uh, leaving uh, a legacy when they die. I'd like to say a big thank you to Nick, Willie, Ludo, Emmett and of course Kevin. We'll be back with you next Monday when we'll be previewing the UK IPT Nottingham. Fergal Nealon will do an interview with Barney and Bridie Gribben. And our guest in the studio will be the man we bumped this week for Kevin Killeen, Neil Channing. From the two Daras and myself, good night and good luck. <laughs>